0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind with the permission of the Worcester News and recorded on Thursday, September the 5th 2019, here at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Kate Hudman, Dilwyn Porter and Julian Watkins. Our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' recent requests, (coughs) these have moved to a new spot following the closing music. So if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned then. I've also been asked to tell you that at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, only on CDs and tape. Don't forget that recordings are also available on podcast. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House Wilds Lane Worcester WR five one DA. We do like hearing from you and a message can be left on our answer phone Worcester that's 766. Or you can add a note to your wallet. We ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the telephone number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Well, now at this point, we should have started with birthdays, but unfortunately, there aren't anybody, any at the moment. So we're going to have thought for the week, so I'll hand over to Jules.
1: Thank you. This is from Psalm 36, verses 1 to 4. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong.
0: Thank you, Jules. Well now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help six to eight PM zero three zero zero one two double three two double one. NHS non emergency. One one one. Worcester Live, that includes the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester 427. Malvern Theatre, 01684 892277. Worcester Hub, for council matters. Worcester seven six five seven six five or seven treble two double three crime stoppers 0800, 555, 111 and Samaritans a free phone number one one six one two three well now i 'll ask the team to start to read the headline articles and to introduce themselves as they begin. So, first of all, it's Moi, and this is Friday, August the 30th, 2019. Hero saved man from drowning. A hero has described how he saved a canoeist from from drowning in the River Severn in Worcester. John Wood and his wife were having a picnic at the Diglis Lock by the Weir on Sunday afternoon when they heard shouts and screaming from the river. Mr Wood, who runs Smoking Jack's fast food van in Pershaw, said, I ran to the riverside path to see a man in the centre of the river holding on to the side of a water-filled canoe without a life vest, drifting towards the Weir at some speed. He was trying to kick his legs to make it to the river's edge while shouting for help. However, the current was too fast and he was cold and tired. Mr Wood, aged 46, who lives in Astwood Road, threw the life ring on the riverside towards the stricken canoeist three times, but each time it failed to reach him. He said, ''His head went under the water.'' and it was like someone pushed a button. I tore off my shirt and dived in from the pontoon, and when I surfaced, I swam to the life ring and took it to the man. I put the ring over him and put my one arm around it and the other arm holding the canoe at the seat opening. People on the pontoon pulled us both in and helped us to get out of the water. The man thanked me. Then my wife and I went home. I had a shower immediately as I was unsure of the cleanliness of the water. Mr. Wood said he just acted on instinct when deciding to dive into the water to save the canoeist. I've never done anything like that before. As I said, it was like someone pressed a button. I just went in without really thinking about it. I tore off my shirt with the buttons coming off and ripping it and that was my favourite shirt as well. The canoeist seemed okay, but I don't really know how he is because I wanted to get home and into the shower. My wife phoned a friend who's a pharmacist who said if I felt at all unwell, I should get straight to the hospital. But I felt okay. A spokesman from the West Midlands Ambulance Service said that paramedics were called to the scene to treat the canoeist, but before they could could reach Diglis were told he was okay. ...and didn't require medical attention. And the headline
2: for Saturday, August the 31st... ...it's a scam and they won't listen. A woman is refusing to pay a parking fine... ...as she says cameras that would support her appeal... ...must be faulty or have not been checked properly. Joe Heesman is now promising to fight the penalty notice... ...and threatening to take Euro car parks to court. Miss Heesman was issued a fine of £45 by the car park management firm for overstaying on the Tybridge Retail Park off Hilton Road by 19 minutes and 31 seconds on April the 20th. The car park allows a two-hour free stay for Homebase, Audi and McDonald's customers before they have to pay but the 48-year-old says she, in fact, made two visits to the site that day with a friend. According to the Comer Gardens resident, she arrived at the site at 12.20pm, went to Homebase and McDonald's for lunch, before going back to Homebase to buy paint. I decided I needed a colour match, and the shop assistant said that if I had some material, she could make the paint up to match the material colour for me, Miss Heisman said. I left my friend and drove off the car park at 5 minutes past 2, within the two hours, and went home to get the match. I returned and parked on the car park about 20 minutes later. I left again at 2.38pm. But Euro Car Park has fined me saying it was all one visit, even though two witnesses will testify that I left and went home for at least 15 minutes during the period. When Miss Heisman appealed, which led her, led to her fine increasing to seventy five pounds, Euro Car Parks refused it, saying their records showed that she was on the car park between twelve nineteen p.m. and two thirty eight p.m. In an email back to Miss Heisman explaining why the appeal had been, appeal had been rejected, a customer service manager from the firm wrote, "Euro Car Parks have assessed your appeal." This involved checking the ANPR cameras. The PCN is outstanding at £75. Failure to make payment will result in the penalty notice being passed to a third-party company where further costs may be incurred. Ms Heesman has appealed to POPLA, an independent appeals service, for parking charges, charge notices, but it has turned down her appeal, saying she did not provide evidence of the vehicle being elsewhere during the period. Ms Heesman said, I will not be paying the fine. If they check the cameras properly, it will show my car leaving the car park and that I was not there for the full two hours. This must be happening to a lot of people and they probably just pay it, but it is a scam and they just won't listen. I am prepared to go to court. I'm a very nice person normally, but this makes me angry. The Worcester News contacted Euro Car Parks but has not received a response. In 2017, Euro Parks was criticised for placing its payment information signs too high on the car park by Terry Wardle, who was given a £75 fine after not seeing them. Richard Udall, St John's councillor, said Euro Parks and other operators make excessive profit from fines issued, but they have a duty to check cameras and and, and check every fine issued is above board and responsible and there should be a total independent op- ombudsman to determine appeals. At the moment, companies like Euro Car Parks are judge, jury and executioner.
3: This is from Worcester News, front page, Monday, September the 2nd. The main headline is too many ice cream traders, and it's about a dispute over licences to sell ice cream. A trader has been told he can carry on selling ice cream in the city centre despite concerns he would congest an already complicated high street. Cosmin Nikolai Tolika was granted permission to sell ice cream and lemonade from his tricycle by Worcester City Council last week. Stephen Connolly, who runs Bears Great Escapes and currently has three licences to sell ice cream in various locations around the city, objected. As he was concerned, another ice cream seller on the high street would make trading even more complicated than it already was. Mr Connolly said he did not completely object to Mr Tolika having a licence but urged the council to consider restricting it and excluding him from the high street. Mr and Mrs Bright, who run Piccadilly Whip, which has a number of tricycles selling ice cream on the city's riverside, also objected, saying too many licences had been handed out. Mr Talika argued his licence should not be restricted and he was entitled to the same opportunities as the rest of the ice cream sellers. He said if Mr Connolly has been granted uh, to trade on the high street for 10 years why shouldn't other traders get the opportunity to trade on the high street? Mr Talika said it was not fair for Mr Connolly to judge whether the city had too many ice cream traders and said it was the people's choice. He said, I think we should all have a fair chance. I just want to sell some ice cream, that's it. Strict restrictions are in place for mobile traders throughout the city centre and they mustn't stay in a fixed spot for more than 15 minutes at a time. Stuart Wright, representing Mr Connolly, asked if the high street could be excluded from the area in which Mr Talika would be allowed to trade. Mr (coughs) Connolly said, The High Street is one of the most complicated trading areas in the city. It has exclusion zones where parts of it are not actually controlled by Worcester City Council. It's a difficult place to trade because as new premises open up and start selling ice cream, you must set up an exclusion zone around that particular area and work with the shop owners. We've built up 10 years of experience of working with local traders. It's one of the most difficult places to trade.
1: Today's story is Tuesday, September the 3rd, Jamie's daily fight with pain. Jamie Cockrum is a typically cheeky schoolboy, but his smile masks the agony of a skin condition which means he suffers blisters at even the slightest touch. Jamie, age 5, faces a daily battle against the painful blisters and tearing skin caused by recessive dystrophic epidemiolosis bullosa. Father Simon Cockrum says the condition is horrific, but adds, he's known it since born. since he was born, it's all he knows, Jamie is so resilient and cheeky but with a great sense of humour. But now he has begun asking, why have I got butterfly skin? Will it go away? How do I answer him? The Lippard Grange Primary School pupil has permanently bandaged feet due to them being so fragile because he was born with no skin. They must be changed every other day following his bath which can take over an hour. But even with bandages, Jamie often needs to use a wheelchair as it's too painful for him to walk. Blisters and skin loss can be found underneath his dressings from falls, which other children can get away with. Mr cockerham age, age 46, says he fell over on the grass the other day while playing, which is normal for children. But this caused Jamie a big blister on his knee. We had to give him morphine and take him home to clean it up. He deals with this on a daily basis. Every morning before the school run and throughout the day, Jamie from Rockswood is checked for blisters. Any lesser foul must be pierced with sterile needles to prevent them spreading across his body. The condition also means the big toe and second toe on both feet are fused together with the constant damage and scarring he suffered. And this may happen to his other toes and his fingers, if left unprotected, leaving him with mitten-like hands and feet. In the future, Jamie may need an operation, which will separate his fingers and toes. Mr. Cockerham said Jamie has a permanent supply of morphine adding. When he's in so much pain, his little body shakes uncontrollably. Jamie had an operation last year to widen his oesophagus tract due to the buildup of scar tissue. He frequently gets blisters in his mouth, and so his food must be soft. I'm sorry. He frequently gets blisters in his mouth, so his food must be soft or mashed up to minimise the damage to his mouth and oesophagus. Jamie also suffers from uh, abrasions, which means his eyes are hypersensitive to light. Therefore, curtains and blinds must be closed, or he must wear prescriptive sunglasses indoors. Mr. Cockrum said. Jamie has to keep his eyes closed even when the curtains are closed because it's still too bright for him. He has to play in the dark with his eyes shut tight. Those make for interesting days educating and entertaining him at home. Inspired by Jamie, his family and friends are taking part in the Worcester 10K run on Sunday, September 15th to raise money for the charity Deborah, which supports people with a skin condition. The charity funds research and healthcare to support people and families affected by RDEB. At the moment, there's currently no cure for the condition. Mr Cockerham said, we are looking forward to the run. For most of us, it's been an opportunity to introduce running into our fitness routine. Although we are not training together, it's brought us together in terms of training for this one cause.
0: Thank you, Jules. What a brave little boy. Now, Wednesday, September the 4th, we'll never catch illegal bikers. And this is... Article is illustrated by a picture of Councillor Andy Roberts standing next to a fence which has been damaged by off-road motorbike users at the junction of Trots Hill Way with the footpath and bridleway. The police can never catch off-road bikes illegally tearing down a city footpath and a road, an officer has admitted but plans are in place for a new metal fence in the hopes of deterring the problem. PC Jason Hart said the bikers continue to cause trouble in Wandon villages, particularly around A4440 Hill Way, but said officers can only do so much to stop them. The trouble is motorbikes, they're out for that reason, aren't they? ''It's a straight road or are they on the bypass,'' he told a Warndon parish council meeting. ''We can't catch them. We can never catch them.'' One resident whose house backs onto Trotshill Lane East said, ''One of the things that is contributing to the problem is the pedestrian gate linking to the estate to the A Road.'' He said, ''The fence next to the gate is nowhere near fit for purpose.'' and has been vandalised very quickly. Now it is totally non-existent, so gives a wonderful thoroughfare for the motorbikes just to drive off Trots Hill Lane and straight down Trots Hill Lane East and ignore the speed limit laws as they go, he added. County Councillor Andy Roberts, also at the meeting on Monday, said the wooden fencing has been damaged at least twice this year, but a metal replacement has been ordered. The original metal fence was—that was—I'm um, sorry, there's a misprint here. The original metal print, pr- fence was good enough, so they stopped that, and this one's a little bit stronger. And hopefully, with the metal fence and the planting, it will stop it. Problem is, it will be expensive. I can't prevent that being vandalised. The more expensive, the more expensive to repair. The councillor added that a toucan crossing where the A road meets the footpath on one side and an unnamed lane leading into Trotsill Lane east on the other is set to be installed on Thursday or Friday. The stretch of road will also be reduced to 40mph as part of the scheme which has also seen red LED lights installed to provide a bat crossing towards Warndon Nature Reserve. Speaking to the Worcester News after the meeting, Councillor Roberts said he hopes the 40-mile-an-hour limit will further help to put off the illegal motorcyclists. Earlier this month, several police officers from Warndon, Gorse Hill and Nunnery gathered on the footpaths of the new Worcester 6 Business Park and seized two bikes from riders aged under 16. Councillor Roberts said the police action was taken after the last time the footpath fencing was vandalised, admitting the problem has not gone away, but it is not what it was. Police have done a great deal to stop this, he continued. It's a heck of a job for them. They can hardly wait for someone to come along at the end of the road. He added that it's frustrating that the new metal fencing has taken so long to get sorted. The footpath on the M5 bridge side of the A440 is also classed as a bridleway for horses to use. Councillor and acting clerk Ray Morris said 18 months ago the parish council had been asked if it would object to the bridleway being put down the back of the school to tie in with this work. In response, Councillor Roberts said, if you open this hornet's nest, you do so at your own risk. We're having that fence put there, that's all I'm saying. He later told the Worcester News, I find it very frustrating that we do all sorts of things and spend a lot of money to accommodate horse riders and it will never be used for that. And the headline, on Thursday, September 5th, Shock over
2: egg attack on Baby A racially motivated assault where a Baby was hit in the face by an egg has been condemned by Worcester's current and former mayors. The two civic leaders have spoken out after a mum and Baby were pelted with eggs thrown from a car at the Tallow Hill retail park close to Pizza Hut. The nine-month-old Baby was left with the red mark to the face. The mother of the child, a woman in her 30s, was not injured. Councillor Alla Ditter, who currently heads the City Council, said, I am very shocked and surprised by this. The people who did this are not representative of Worcester, which is a place where communities live and work together peacefully. We must try to eradicate this sort of behaviour, and the way to do that is to open up all sorts of conversations so people see there are all kinds of ties that connect us. Councillor Jabarias, who was mayor in 2018-19, to said, This was a cowardly and shocking attack that has no place in a community such as ours. The theme during my year in office was love, not hate, and the fact that things like this continue to occur shows that we must continue working together to bring the community together. I hope the police find out who did this and they are dealt with appropriately. During his mayoral year, Councillor Riaz led counter-protesters protest protesters at an EDL march in the city last September, brandishing a placard carrying his message. Police have appealed for help to find the suspect, who is described as a white male. Sergeant Paul Smith from West Mercia Police said, this was a nasty and unprovoked assault on a mother and her baby that has left the victims understandably very shaken. We're particularly concerned that the motivation for this is believed to be racial. There is no excuse for this type of behaviour and we will not tolerate it. While no arrests have been made, investigations are ongoing and we are currently reviewing CCTV footage to try to identify the vehicle involved. We realise this incident will cause concern amongst the community and want to reassure the public that we take reports of this nature very seriously and will continue to patrol the area. Police want to hear from anyone who saw the assault in Worcester. The incident happened on September 2nd at around 11.30am at the Shrub Hill Retail Park on Tallow Hill. Anyone with any information can contact West Mercia Police on 101.00 Quoting incident number 289S of September the 2nd,
0: 2019. And now two sports items, so I'll ask Jules to start.
1: And this one is from Monday, September the 2nd. Uh, hospice match success. A football match which raised money for a city hospice was a huge success. The match held Archdale Sports and Social Club featured a host of past and present players and managers and helped to raise more than £600 for St. Richard's Hospice. In the match, Dales Legends took on New Dales FC, finishing in a penalty shootout win for New Dales after a 1-1 draw. Ashley Banner, one of the organisers of the event, held on Saturday said, I thought the day was a huge success. Not only the money raised for a great charity, but to see some of the old boys' faces back at the football club was fantastic. You forget so quickly at the atmosphere you're feeling at the beginning surrounded by your friends in a changing room before a football match once you stop playing football. As soon as you enter the changing room, the banter between the players begins and that's something you can't replicate. The match wasn't about who won and who lost. It was about raising money for St. Richard's Hospice. It wouldn't have been possible for yesterday to happen if it wasn't for the support and help organising the event from my wife Vicky, Martin Stevens, and Shelley, Kevin Brocklehurst and Julie, Dan and Vicky Parsons, Andy and Laura Whittleson and Gen- Jenny Gornley. They all played a massive part in making yesterday a success. Going forward, the club says they have a few ideas as a football club of how they would like to support the community. They plan to meet soon to see what they can offer next. Around £600 was raised from the collections and ticket prices, but the club is still waiting for the official total, with sealed donations tubs being sent to St Richard's for counting before the final total is revealed. All players pay a fee to pay, and in addition there was a barbecue, Bouncy Castle and a raffle to raise more funds. The raffle had prizes donated to it by a long list of local companies including Costa Coffee, The Slug and Lettuce, Worcester Wolves, Worcester City FC and Hickory Steakhouse. For more information about St Richard's Hospice, go to strichards.org.uk.
3: OK, this is a story about Worcestershire cricket and about a defeat at Northamptonshire by seven wickets. Got a very nice picture of Worcester captain Moeen Alley um, in action to illustrate the um, the story. Holders Worcester Rapids head to Hove on Friday for the Vitality Blast quarter-finals against Sussex Sharks in a repeat of last year's final. Rapids went down by seven wickets to to Northamptonshire Steelbacks in their final T20 North group match at Wantage Road, Northampton, on Friday night. The county finished fourth, despite close rivals Notts Outlaws losing to Durham at Trent Bridge and will visit Sharks, who topped the South group. Sizable contributions from Ricky Vessels, Skipper Moeen Alley and Ben Cox enabled Rapids to post 188 for 5 in Northampton but the county could not contain a six-blitz by Adam Rossington, home captain Josh Cobb, and Dwayne Pretorius, which um, enabled Steelbacks to win with seven balls left. Moeen opted to bat after winning the toss, and Hamish Rutherford struck four fours in quick 18 before he lofted Nathan Buck to deep mid-wicket. Vessels joined Moeen and cut Pretorius for four to bring up the half-century off the last ball of the seventh over. Buck was struck for successive sixes by Moeen in an over costing 17 runs. The 50 partnership between Moeen and Vessels came up in 38 balls. Moeen raced to his half century off just 28 balls with four sixes and four fours out of 87 for one in 9.3 overs. But on 51 the England All-Rounder departed in the same area as Rutherford off Pretorius after putting on 61 in eight overs with Vessels. The Worcester 100 came up in 11 overs. Vessels moved to 45 before dragging a ball from Blessington Mutsurabani outside the off-stump deep into the leg side where Tom Sowell held onto his second catch. Ross Whiteley got two, swung across the line against spinner Rob Keogh and was bowled before Tom fell got seven, carved the same bowler to deep cover. But Cox, 44 not out, and Ed Barnard, 15, added an invaluable 35 from the final three overs. Cox faced only 27 balls and pulled Musurambani for six with five other boundaries as Rapids closed on 185, 188 for five. Steelbacks made a positive start to their reply and reached 59 from five overs, but Moen's first delivery accounted for Richard Levy on 18 who gave the spinner the charge and was stumped by Cox. Rossington completed a 25-ball half-century, but on 54, he pulled Bard into the leg side, where Vessels took a fine catch on 78-for-2 in the ninth over. A tight two-over spell from Barnard and Darrell Mitchell conceded just three runs, and Steelbacks needed 108 from the final ten overs. Cobb responded by striking four sixes in an over from Barnard on his way to a 25-ball 50. He eventually fell to a head high catch by Mitchell off Pat Brown after striking 62 with a total on 173 for three in the 17th over. But Pretorius completed his half century from 38 balls, the third of the innings before steelbacks crossed the finishing line.
0: And now Kate has an additional sports article for us. This again is
3: cricket,
2: but it's a little bit different. 10th um, father and son duo for club. Jack Haynes has become part of the 10th father and son combination to have played county championship cricket for Worcestershire. The 18-year-old followed in Dad Gavin's footsteps with his maiden championship appearance against Northamptonshire at Wantage Road last month. He received his county cap at Wantage Road from Moen Alley. Gavin Haynes, who is 50 later this month and now coaches the sport, represented the county from 1991 to 1999, playing in 100 first class and 121 List A games. Jack Haynes' current Blackfinch New Road teammate, Brett Doliviera, was part of the previous father and son team to play for the county in the championship. Damien Doliviera wore wa- wa- Sorry, Damien Tolivera wore the county's colours from 1982 to 1995, being part of the second golden era of Worcestershire cricket. Brett oliveira, currently recovering from a thumb injury, made his championship debut seven years ago against Warwickshire at Edgbaston in August 2012. Another member of the 2019 staff to qualify as part of the father and son link-up with the county is George Rhodes, although he is currently on loan at Leicestershire before moving permanently. He made his debut in 2016, 12 years after dad Steve Rhodes hung up his gloves after 20 years as a wicketkeeper. Damian Oliveira also qualifies as part of another father and son team after following his dad Basil D'Oliveira into the county 11. The legendary Basil Oliveira represented Worcestershire from 1964 to 1980 and was part of the first golden spell for the county. Other father and son combinations have been George Wilson Sr. 1897 to 1906 and George Wilson Jr. 1924 to 1926. William Greenstock 1893 to 1919 and John Greenstock 1924 to 1927. Henry Foster 1890 to 1925 and Christopher Foster 1927 francis summers nineteen twenty one to nineteen twenty eight and douglas summers nineteen thirty john littleton 1924 to twenty five and charles littleton nineteen thirty two to forty eight and edward wrighton senior nineteen eleven to thirteen and edward wrighton jr nineteen thirty four to nineteen thirty six Wicketkeeper batsman Alex Milton finished as Worcestershire's leading run scorer in the 2019 Second Eleven Championship. Milton put a challenging start to the campaign behind him to score hundreds against Leicestershire 138 and Nottinghamshire 135. It helped him earn a senior recall and he responded with 74 against Australia before returning to the Specsavers County Championship side against Northamptonshire. Academy product Nick Hammond topped the seconds averages with 257 runs at 85.16 and hit two championship tons against Leicestershire and Durham. Josh Dell with 260 at 32.50 was the other main run getter with the highlight being 131 not out against Lancashire at Northern where he carried his bat. He helped It helped him to secure a first team spot and he has made six county championship appearances so far this season. On the bowling front, the spoils were shared around the spinner, George Rhodes, the leading wicket taker, He ended with 11 at an average of 13.82 and was followed by Adam Finch and Josh Breed with nine apiece. Club captain Joe Leach topped the averages with eight wickets at 13.63 during the early season appearances when proving his fitness after a stress fracture of the back. Eleven venues, including Black Finch New Road, have been identified to host standalone women's competition matches in the 100 a new 100-ball competition which starts next July.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Well, we seem to be on a cricket roll this evening uh, because On This Day, which comes next, has several cricket references. On This Day gives us events which took place on the 5th of September in various years gone by. 1826. John Wisden, original compiler of *Wisden Cricketers' almanac of cricket statistics, price one shilling, 5p, was born in Brighton. He had a sports goods shop in Leicester Square, London. 1847, Jesse James, American outlaw, was born near Kansas City. With his elder brother Frank, he led the first gang to carry out train robberies. 1963... Christine Keeler, one of the girls at the center of the Profumo scandal, was arrested and charged with perjury. 1972, Palestinian terrorists, members of the Black September Group, killed 11 Israeli athletes at the Munich Olympic Games. 1980, the 10 mile St. Gotthard Road Tunnel in Switzerland, the longest in the world, was opened. 1982. Douglas Bader, famed pilot with false legs and leader of The Few, the several hundred RAF pilots who defeated the German Luftwaffe in the Battle of Britain, died. 1987. No sex please, we're British closed after 6,671 performances over 16 years, the longest-running theatre comedy in the world. 1991, the USSR was no more, as the Congress of People's Deputies in Moscow scrapped the old power structures built up over 70 years and gave the Soviet republics their independence. And on this day last year, luxury fashion house Burberry announced that it would no longer use real fur. And the two cricket references are to the birthdays for this day, September the 5th. They include Mark Ramprakash, who is 50, and Adam Holyoke, who is 48. The list also includes Johnny Briggs, the actor, Dick Clement, the scriptwriter, George Lazenby, the actor. Now we'll move on to published letters. So I'll start us off with an article in Fairpoint by Tom Banner. Aren't we better safe than sorry on climate change? It's fascinating to see the two opposing sides waging war over climate change. On one side, you have climate campaigners such as Greenpeace and Extinction Rebellion, supported by most of the world's scientists, saying we have an unprecedented disaster on our hands, and on the other, lots of people who are furiously convinced it is either a hoax or it's just not that bad. My question is, even if there is no evidence for man-made climate change, why would we take the chance? If there is even a chance that the Earth's climate is being irreparably damaged, why should we take the chance on it not happening? If we are all wrong to be worrying about climate change, but we use renewable energy, have we really lost out? One of the main problems we have is the false equivalence given to both sides of any given debate. On one side, you can have qualified scientists who have studied climate change and risen to the top of their fields. And on the other, people who have never actually studied it, they're just really furiously sure they're right. Most of the blame for this lies with people in my profession. It's right to be balanced and reflect both sides, but should we grant equal weight in an argument to those who don't actually have much besides the support of lobby groups and think tanks to bring to the table? There shouldn't be a debate on the future of the planet. Using a cleaner and safer form of energy just makes sense whether you believe in climate change or not. My question to those who believe climate change is a, ho- is a hoax is this. If it is a hoax, what do the people proposing it have to gain from it? Why would governments, scientists and strange Swedish teenagers waste their time pretending the planet is dying simply to stop us using fuel- fossil fuels, cutting down on how much plastic we use and finding otherwise cleaner ways to travel? Like with the utterly bizarre flat earthers, why would a government pretend any of this? It makes no sense. If you believe climate change is either not that bad or a secret conspiracy, ask yourself that question. As with so much in the world today, wouldn't it be better to be safe than sorry? And now
2: here's a view uh, from Harriet Baldwin, uh, one of our Worcestershire MPs. Summer is drawing to a close but I hope many of you have been able to get a little time to recharge the batteries and spend time with friends and family. Although Parliament was recessed, that doesn't stop the hundreds of letters, emails and social media messages hitting my desk. In the last year alone I've helped with many thousands of constituents' issues and questions. MPs are free at the point of access and I'm always happy to help out where I can and it is often surprising to me about the range of things people write to their MP about and the problems I can sort out. I hold regular advice surgeries and MPs have a number of dedicated helplines and specialist government departmental teams, so often we are able to help with urgent problems quite quickly and quite efficiently. My postbag also tells me the things that you want to improve in our area. I've always been an advocate of the principle that if you don't ask, you won't get it. Thanks to you, I've successfully campaigned for better school funding and nearly £5 million extra funding for local school classrooms. I've also lobbied for £29 million for improvements at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Many of you wrote to me about transport problems and congestion. Upwards of £100 million is being spent on the local road network, and that's largely down to continuing to lobby government ministers to find the cash. Whether it's the Carrington Road Bridge or the pedestrian crossing on Sta- Station Road in Pershaw, everything stems from requests from you, which I have used to speak to the government. I also get a lot of correspondence about broadband issues. Almost all of you now have access to superfast broadband, and I've been pleased to make recent progress with the County Council on some of the more rural parts of West Worcestershire. So do bear in mind that your MP is there to help, and if you ever feel that you need to contact me, even if it is to share your view, please do so. That's just what I'm here
3: for. Okay, this is a comment from the Worcester News on the 4th of September, and it relates to an earlier story that we had about um, people on motorbikes using a footpath illegally. And this is the editorial comment. No easy fix for bike riding issue, is the headline. It's easy to understand the frustrations of police trying to stop young people on motorbikes tearing down a footpath illegally. There is only so much you can do when confronted with an issue like this. If these youths are constantly going down there and causing damage, and the police cannot get down the footpath to chase them, what can they do? Police are stretched thin, coping with crime and antisocial behaviour as it is, so calling for more officers only works if manpower is diverted from somewhere else. The issue of anti-social be- why antisocial behaviour occurs is a much deeper issue with no easy solution. Changing the speed limit on the stretch of road near the footpath is about the only thing the council and police can do. It won't stop people from riding illegally in the area, but it is worth a shot. To a lot of people, police officers saying we will never catch them would sound defeatist. But really, what more could they do? Catch the ones they can catch and hope that it puts off the others.
1: Well, we have a letter um, from the Worcester News Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. Sir... Read the report and picture of protest over Parliament suspension September the 3rd by anti brexit demonstrators in Worcester High Street further confuses my limited intelligence the demonstrators are holding up placards demanding to find, defend democracy and to save democracy etc but the democratic vote was to leave Europe wasn't it and that's from Cliff Slade from Tenbury Wells
0: right then my second letter for this evening is from Um, Jane Ashcroft, who is Chief Executive Anchor, Hanover. Why not try 10 today? Sir, physical inactivity in later life is one of our country's greatest health challenges, with around 6.4 million physically inactive older people in England today. Physical activity can reduce the risk of dementia by 30%. So we urgently need solutions that encourage exercise suited to older people to improve their mental and physical well-being. Encouragingly, Anker Hanover's research shows 76 percent of older people wish they were more physically active. That's why new initiatives like Ten Today are so welcome. 10 Today is an innovative new programme to increase physical activity among older people through short 10 minute exercise routines that can be done almost anywhere and at any time and are broadcast free on the radio and online. We're proud that our customers and colleagues are bringing together hundreds of people to try 10 Today in a community setting. We're now calling on the public to embrace the many benefits of staying active and give 10 today a try. Everyone should have a chance to live life to the full, regardless of age. And this is uh, about
2: organ donation. It is right that from 2020, adults will be automatically considered organ donors if they have not opted out of the scheme. Donating an organ can save someone's life and many of us already appreciate that. Once dead, we will not have much use for our organs anymore. But the important thing to remember about the law change is that it is possible to opt out as well. It is understandable that some people might not wish for their organs to be taken after their deaths and if you feel that way, opt out. Twenty nine people had their lives saved with an organ transplant last year in Worcestershire and anything which can lead to more lives being saved should be applauded. As with most things, the more open we are and the more we talk about the issue, the less of a stigma there will be and the more open people will be up, be up to the, uh, for the idea. Every day in the UK, three people die who could have benefited from an organ transplant. These could be people that you and I help keep alive, even though we are not
3: there to see the results. Okay, this is a letter from the 4th of September about police and prison policy. It's from Michael Doley of Pershaw. Sir, so Boris is to give us 20,000 more police, or rather replace the 20,000 that have been taken away, plus mega-presence. The public will soon become disappointed when their expectations are not met. The present labours of the Home Office, and in particular the Justice Department, leave much to be desired. Both pull in opposite directions. Large prisons, if built, will only be a powder keg awaiting a match. Built, better to build small, independent, standalone prisons of no more than 230 inmates prison should never be about punishment its sole purpose is containment of those who have proved themselves a threat to law and order we do not we do need local chief constables for smaller areas with complete operational control and accountability they would only receive the pay and rank of a chief superintendent but it's important that they are masters of their own ship let us at once dispense with crime commissioners nobody votes for them
1: well, this is a letter from Tuesday, September the 3rd, um, from a D. Marsden from Worcester. Sir, read your front page story, Bridge Over Troubled Water, August 25th. What started as a story about the road and the bridge at Holt Fleet quickly turned into a platform for vegans and vegetarians. I did not have a problem with either, each to their own, and we all have a choice. Live chickens have been transported this way for many years, and I agree this is not the very very best way for these poor creatures to end their lives. But can we please not deviate from the main headline story?
0: Right, well we move on now to some of the news articles from the week. I'll start off with one headed, Protest not over Brexit. Hundreds of protesters turned out in Worcester to voice their anger at the government's decision to suspend Parliament. The Stop the Coup event saw residents and political party members take to the streets to attack the Prime Minister Boris Johnson's decision. The organisers of the event were keen to stress that the rally was not about Brexit and was instead about the dangerous precedent set by prorogation. Mike Cross, one of the organisers, said, What this is not about is Brexit. We are here representing the trade unions and we have no particular position on Brexit because roughly half of union members voted either way in the referendum. What it is about is democracy. We are concerned about the shutdown, which is the biggest constitutional decision since the Second World War. Around 200 people turned up to the event in Worcester High Street at noon on Saturday. They heard speeches from local figures, including Stephen Kearney, the Liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate for Worcester. He said Britain is facing the rise of fascism and called for change at government level. He said, I think that what is going on at the moment is that this shutdown is undermining the will of the people. And it's critical that we stick up to this because, in my opinion, this has started the rise of fascism in Britain. We need to stop the rise of Dominic Cummings and Johnson. They embarrassed the Queen and I think that's outrageous. In his speech to the crowd, Mr Kearney attacked the city's MP, Robin Walker, calling him a weak, careerist hypocrite. During his speech, a passerby shouted, you are a traitor at Mr Kearney. The protest in Worcester follows several other similar demonstrations around the country in cities including Glasgow, London, Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle and Oxford, as well as a march in Malvern on August 30th. Labour councillor and parliamentary candidate for Worcester, Lynn Denham, said, I never thought I would see the day when we had a demonstration in Worcester to stop a coup and defend democracy. Worcester has historically fought for democracy throughout the past and, I guess, until recently, no one really had ever heard of the word prorogue. Whatever your view on Brexit is, we need our MPs to be able to scrutinise the government. I want my MP to be able to do that.
2: And now this is an article about booking a flu jab. (laughs) Catching flu could make you seriously ill and make complications such as pneumonia and shortage of breath more likely. Studies have shown that the flu jab does work in helping to prevent the flu and is the best protection against an unpredictable virus that can affect at-risk groups such as the elderly and frail, pregnant women, babies, etc. Although it is not a 100% guarantee that you will be flu free, but if you do get flu after vaccination, the symptoms should be milder and shorter lived than they would otherwise have been. Evidence shows that the flu jab can reduce the risk of having a stroke. Police are of, oh, sorry, people are often concerned about any side effects caused by the flu jab, but side effects of the injection vaccine are very rare. You may experience a slight temperature and aching muscles and be a little bit sore where you were injected. This soreness can be eased by moving your arm occasionally and applying a heat pad or if the spot is hot, then use a cold compress. Taking paracetamol can ease any pain. Last winter flu left more than 2,000 people needing life or death treatment in intensive care units but unfortunately 200 people did not make it. By the fourth week of January this year, 45% of pregnant women received the flu flu vaccine, with 47% of under 65 and 72% of the age who are in a clinical risk group owing to an underlying condition such as diabetes and asthma. A word of caution, Sanofi, the French pharmaceutical giant who supplies vaccines to the UK, 7 million doses, of vaccine are very concerned that the uns- of the uncertainty of the Brexit situation, which could mean a severe delay in products reaching the UK. Unfortunately, the jab cannot be stockpiled because the vaccine can only be manufactured a month before vaccinations take place. Book your jab early with your GP to reserve your vaccination.
3: Okay, this is from the 30th of August, and the headline is Reaction after dog, quote, used as weapon, unquote. Readers have reacted strongly to the news that a dog used as a weapon during an attack in Worcester City Centre may be destroyed. We reported yesterday how Andrew Corns used his Staffordshire Bull Terrier crossbreed to inflict injuries on another man in the Trinity. Corns, age 35, of George Street Worcester, has been convicted, but readers hoped that the dog would not be put down. Claire Marshall said, This is the problem. The only one that suffers in situations like this is the dog. This beautiful breed always suffers at the hands of irresponsible owners who should never be allowed to own such a special breed. Just because a dog has been used to attack doesn't mean it will do it again. Kelly Lyon said, It's the owners who need putting down. The dog deserves a chance to be taught and given love training. Jess Marie said, The dog shouldn't have to be destroyed for this horrible man's actions, unless, of course, the dog is genuinely aggressive. Nicola Long said, Fingers crossed, the poor dog gets a new home he deserves. Toya Murtaza said, The dog should be retrained and given a chance. The problem is almost any dog would bite someone if a fight broke out. If someone hurts their owner, it will protect. Christy Elizabeth Roberts said, Don't destroy the dog. That's like saying, Oh, someone's been knifed. Let's destroy the knife. You punish the person controlling it. Ted Morris said, The fault lies with the man, not the dog. Greg Seck said, If we use a gun to kill someone, we're going to be jailed, not the gun. Sophie Smith said, I feel sorry for the dog. It should have a different owner. It was always a nice dog.
1: Well, this story is entitled, Man in Court on Contempt Suspicion. A man has appeared in court on suspicion of contempt. Grant Lloyd apologised again for taking a picture in court during his brother's case earlier this summer. The Facebook post, seen by Worcester News, showed a photograph of Judge Nicholas Cartwright and four barristers taken from the public gallery of Court 3. The post appeared as a status update on July 29th by Grant Chavy Turner-Lloyd from Wensbury with a caption, No matter what happens, brother, hold it down, I'll get a visit sorted soon. I love you load, brother, Brown Lloyd, at Worcester Crown Court. Yesterday Lloyd appeared for the latest hearing of the case. Judge Robert Jukes QC said, "I understand you are not represented today. But I understand you have indicated you do not want to be represented. It is a case for which you must be represented. In my view, it is a serious matter." Lloyd then took the judge. Lloyd, <clears throat> Lloyd then told the judge he had contacted a Birmingham solicitor firm, but had not heard back from them. The judge said, "I will put this matter back for you to gain instructions from a solicitor." Taking photos of the court in progress, it can have a significant impact. Lloyd, who appeared wearing a grey tracksuit, said, I'm sorry about that. It is deleted. I did not mean it in a malicious way. The judge said, I register your apology. I remember the apology to Judge Tyndall as an earlier hearing. The judge set the next hearing of the case to be Monday, September 16th at 10am. The judge added that although he was putting it back, there was no indication of the outcome. Lloyd, who court staff had no age or address for when asked by a reporter, was warned if he did not appear at court on that date, he could be arrested by police. Contempt of court can include taking photos or publicly commenting on a court case, for example on social media or online news articles. Signs are placed at various locations around courts, warning that the public are not to take photographs within the court, including the waiting areas. Anyone found guilty of contempt of fence could go to prison for up to two years, Get a fine or both?
0: The next article is headed atrocious city bus cuts. A disgusted pensioner says she will be stranded after hospital bus cuts. First group has announced the 38 bus will be stopped on Sundays from October the 13th due to the lack of customers using the service. Gwen Hughes, of Norwich Road in Ronkswood, says this change will restrict her family from going out on Sundays. Mrs Hughes, who catches the 38 almost every day, says, It's an absolute disgrace. Why are they picking on us? It's wrong. It's getting a bit serious now. What will happen if you have to go to the hospital on a Sunday? Who can afford taxis? What will the residents do? Mrs Hughes, aged 65, added, People don't use the buses because of the poor service and they're so unreliable. They blame this and they blame that. The Sidbury Roadworks they blame it on, but the bus doesn't even take that route. Councillor Pat Agar, who represents Nunnery, said, I am appalled. I think it's atrocious. It's like going back to the 1950s. I'm just cheesed off why are they not able to run buses in a densely populated urban area? They are not running buses at the times and to the places that people want to go. I don't know what they are doing. I want to see an initiative to see more buses. A first group spokesman said, we are making a number of changes to services from the 13th of October, including the withdrawal of Route 38 on Sundays. We are a private bus operator and this route operates without public subsidy. Unfortunately, there are not enough customers using the service on Sundays and we have reluctantly made the decision to withdraw these trips. The Worcester News previously reported that First Group will be pursuing strategic options through a sale or other means to separate First Bus from First Group. A first group spokesman assured its customers that the services will continue to operate as usual. A first group spokesman said, First bus is now on a much stronger footing and we believe it is the right time to pursue structural alternatives so the business can continue to provide excellent service, ensure the best possible future for our staff and continue to meet stakeholders' requirements. The bus goes from Crowngate to Ronkswood to the hospital. Space
2: explorer Don Thomas is coming to the city to talk about his time orbiting the Earth. A veteran of four space flights, he travelled in excess of 17 million miles at 17,500 miles per hour when he became an astronaut in 1991. Nick Deakin, who runs the not-for-profit Inspire Space Community Interest Company, has organised the event. Mr Deakin said, I've always had a love of science fiction films and comics, and I remember watching the moon landing as a 10-year-old in 1969 in my parents' living room, and I was hooked. I want to inspire other people, so I've organised this event. He came to Worcester two years ago to tour schools and the children really loved him as he makes it fun while at the same time they are learning about science. Don will talk about gravity with such passion and he really gets the kids involved. Mr Thomas retired from NASA in 2007 after spending the last years with the organisation as a scientist overseeing experiments on the International Space Station. He is a pilot with over 800 hours flying as mission specialist in NASA T-38 jet aircraft and he has been awarded numerous medals. These include the NASA Distinguished Service Medal, two NASA Exceptional Service Medals and four NASA Group Achievement Awards. The event will take place at the Hive Library in Worcester on Tuesday, October the 8th from 6 p.m. for a 7 p.m. start tickets are available at www.astronautevent.co.uk
3: okay more criticism of the bus service here anger after four hour round bus trip an angry pensioner claims she spent a four hour a four hour round bus trip to visit her newborn great-granddaughter at the hospital via Yabacek Yakubek, who needs a mobility scooter, she suffers from fibromyalgia, says she felt unwell for days after her bus trip to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Adding, "I'm disgusted with Worcester's bus service. It's disgraceful." The 65-year-old claimed she caught the bus from outside her home in Cripplegate House, St John's, to Crowngate Bus Station, so that she could then get the bus to the hospital. She claims the number 38 bus arrived at the station, however the driver drove off straight away and ignored her waiting. The next one didn't turn up until 6.30. Mrs. Yakubek eventually arrived at the hospital at 6.45 adding I was so angry and very hungry at the end of it. I was going to eat my dinner at the hospital canteen but by the time I got there it was shut. She caught the bus back to the station at 7.40. However, it was running 15 minutes late, so she decided to get a taxi home. It was 9.06 by the time she got home on August the 22nd. She added, There needs to be more regular buses, especially for the hospital. To limit the bus service to the hospital and have buses missing their stops is just not cricket. A first spokesman said, Our whole network has been delayed by roadworks at Sidbury, causing major congestion, especially as motorists seek alternative routes. Frustratingly, while the 38 does not operate in this area, it shares buses with services that do, causing a long gap in service. This was worsened by scheduled drivers being out of place due to the delays. We're informed that the main works are due to finish shortly, but smaller works continue for some time yet. In the meantime, our team are making every effort to minimise delays, which are unfortunately outside of our control, and we apologise to customers for any inconvenience caused.
1: Well, this is a story from September the 3rd, and it's entitled Concern Over Teen With Knife In Park. Concerns about knives have been raised after a child told family members that a boy had shown off a knife in a public park. Worried resident Louise Griffiths, 49, from Worcester, said the family relatives had told her about the alleged knife incident at a Dinescreen park. She said, My eight-year-old family member was among the group at the time the blade was shown by a lad no one had seen before. I am saddened that in this day and age people do this. When I was young, I think the police had more freedom and none of my friends would take a knife out in public. City Councillor Richard Udall said, I've seen a post on social media about a teen allegedly showing a kitchen knife in a downscreen park to a group of children. I am deeply concerned if this is true and I'll be working closely with the police to find the persons responsible. I know there's been antisocial issues in the park in the past with drinking, but this is new to me. I want families to be able to take their kids to public play parks and feel safe. It's not going to stop me walking my dog in the area and, as a community, we need to come together to tackle this issue and anyone concerned needs to contact the police. Possessing a knife in a public place without a good cause is a criminal offence and no one under the age of 18 is allowed to possess anyone under any circumstances. There was an upward trend of police visiting schools in the county due to children possessing a knife between 2013 and 2018, according to a Freedom of Information request published by West Mercia Police. A total of 65 incidents were dealt with during that five-year period. However, South Worcestershire saw a 25% decrease of police-recorded crimes involving knives or sharp instruments in 2017-2018. Figures released by the Office for National Statistics were in sharp contrast to the 16% rise recorded nationally. West Mercia Police were unavailable for comment.
0: This article is headed Union Slams Long Hours After Crash. A trade union has criticised the increasing trend for factories to force longer hours on staff after an exhausted operative died following a crash on the m5 tragic sarina georgie was said to have complained of being tired and suffering from a headache after working an apparent four hours extra on a new factory job the day before she died an inquest heard Having arrived home in Worcester at 7pm from her job inspecting Jaguar doors in Birmingham, she was out of the door the next day around 5am for another full-time shift, an inquest heard this week. The 24-year-old misjudged an overtake and panicked as she tried to correct her Peugeot 206 between junctions 5 and 4a, but lost control and swerved into the path of a four-by-four on April the 3rd. Lindsay Mann, GMB Health and Safety Officer said, We have noticed that over the past couple of years, factories have been changing their shift patterns to include longer hours with less breaks, more night shift and increasingly monotonous tasks. These practices cause fatigue, and this, in turn, increases the likelihood of road accidents by 20%, which are then 50% more likely to result in death or serious injury. It is also younger workers who are more likely to carry out tasks that other more experienced workers would turn down for fear that they will lose their job, making them more vulnerable. The figures quoted by Ms Mann are taken from research undertaken by the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents. The organisation's website states crashes are most likely to happen on long journeys, particularly on motorways, between 2am and 6am, or after working long shifts, especially night shifts. Sleepiness reduces reaction time. It also reduces vigilance, alertness and concentration, so that the ability to perform attention-based activities is impaired, Rosper said. The collision had taken place around 5.40am on a section of Smart Road Motorway, where there is no hard shoulder, and the left Two lanes split off towards the M42 junction, while the right lanes continue on towards the M6. PC Mark Murphy, forensic investigator for West Mercia Police, said the area doesn't benefit from street lighting, so it was very tar- dark at the time. A spokesman for Highways England had said, however, there are no current plans to change this. They said a third of the country's motorways do not have lighting, and these are regularly monitored, adding that the crash would have happened near a junction, and junctions themselves always have lighting. There's not a simple answer. Lack of lighting was not put down as a cause of the crash, the spokesman added. As reported yesterday, Worcester MP Robin Walker has promised to push the Department for Transport to consider Ms Georges' death when discussing any further motorway-related learner-driver policy changes. The factory worker was described as a nervous and inexperienced driver who avoided using motorways prior to the crash. Mr Walker said ensuring as many people as possible get extra experience while learning to drive makes a lot of sense, with motorway lessons not currently compulsory.
2: Worcester's annual drumhead service and parade to commemorate those who died in the Battle of Worcester on September 3rd, 1651, took place in the city this last Tuesday on September 3rd. Organised by the Battle of Worcester Society, the colourful event began at five o'clock outside the Guild Hall. A group of reenactors, escorted by the Mayor of Worcester, Aladitta, and members of the Society and members of the public on a parade through the streets to the Commandery in Sidbury. There in the Great Hall, they drank Sorry, they they paused to enjoy a drink, at a bar provided by the four hundred year old Cardinal Hat Inn in Friar Street. This pub was in business at the time of the battle, and at six forty-five p.m. the parade continued to the top of Fort Royal Hill. At seven p.m. there was a short service conducted by the Reverend Rob Farmer. Muskets were fired by the Worcester reenactors to mark the beginning and end of a minute silence held to show respect to those who gave their lives. After the short commemorative service, the parade returned to the commandery and then dispersed. Battle of Worcester Society Chairman Richard Shaw said, The drumhead service commemorates the 3,200 British soldiers killed during the battle. Many more died later from their injuries or were killed trying to escape from Worcester. An untold number of civilians also died on that day. Apart from the 3,200 men who were killed during the battle, a further 10,000 were taken prisoner at Worcester or soon afterwards. The Earl of Derby was executed while the other English prisoners were conscripted into the new model army and sent to Ireland. September will be a busy month for the society. On Saturday, September 7th, it is joining with the Battlefields Trust for a guided public driving and walking tour. This will start at 11am at the Ketch Pub car park in Bath Road and take to the Bridge of Boats at Poeg and Upton-upon-Seven. After lunch, there will be a 3pm meet at the Commandery in Sidbury for an urban walk to Fort Royal, King Charles House, High Street, the Cathedral and the former Worcester Castle Street site, followed by an optional tour of the Commandery. The walk will be guided by Anthony Rich, Mercia Secretary of the Battlefields Trust and Guild of Battlefield Guides. On Wednesday, September 11th, the Battle of Worcester Society has organised a coach visit to Moseley Old Hall, a National Trust property in Featherstone, Staffordshire. Moseley Old Hall has remarkable history connected to Charles Stuart and his escape from the Battle of Worcester. Visitors can discover the story of how he sought shelter and how life was really lived in the 17th century Staffordshire. Then on Saturday, September the 14th, during Heritage Day at the Commandery, local historian Howard Robinson will be giving three specialist talks on the Battle of Worcester.
3: OK, another report here about an upcoming event already for Saltfest. Preparations are well underway for this year's Saltfest in Droidwich, which takes place from Friday to Sunday, September the 6th to the 8th. The annual, annual event which celebrates Droitwich's salt history starts at 6pm on Friday, September the 6th with a fireworks display in Vines Park. There will then be further celebrations on the Saturday from 10am till 11pm and on Sunday from 10am to 7pm also in the Vines Park area on the north side of the saltway in the town centre. A spokesman for the organisers said... The aim of the festival is to provide a fun day out for local people and their families where they can experience some of the history of the town, wander amongst the displays from local businesses and buy products from the farmers' market and artisan manufacturers. This year's event is bigger than before, with more than 160 stalls offering products and services from a wide range of local and regional merchants, craftspeople and food and drink suppliers. The Pamela May 2 will be on display and the new all-electric boat will be running short canal boat trips. The Salt Fest will be supported by a large marquee stocking a specially selected range of ales from leading national small breweries, activities for children, two full days of live music to suit all tastes, a duck race, Fishing competition, traditional salt making, a wide range of outdoor catering, from burgers to Greek street food, a dog show and plenty more. So please encourage friends from all over the West Midlands to come and have a fun day out in Droitwich.
1: This story is from Tuesday, September 3rd and is entitled MPs Welcome for Schools Cash Boost." Worcester MPs have welcomed the announcement that billions of pounds have been pledged to schools after years of lobbying by county heads and teachers for more money. Downing Street said the investment delivers on Prime Minister Boris Johnson's pledge to increase school funding by £4.6 billion pounds above inflation and is a cash boost totalling more than £14 billion for primary and secondary schools nationally over the next three years. School leaders cautiously welcomed the move but warned the crisis is now as extra funding is needed as soon as possible. It has been announced every secondary school will receive a minimum of £5,000 per pupil next year and every primary school a minimum of £4,000 from 2021 to 2022. These are close to the figures that the F40 campaign group, which has fought for fairer funding for county schools for decades, have called for in recent years. Worcester MP Robin Walker said this has been something I've been campaigning for for a long time. It's a major move in the right direction. There is levelling which means a significant uplift for Worcestershire schools. The £4,000 for primary pupils and £5,000 per pupil at secondary schools will make a big difference and is a significant increase in funding. We have Fort Royal and Regency in our area, so the news there is a £700 million increase in funding in one year for special needs schools I know will also make a difference." Paul Whiteman, General Secretary of the National Association of Head Teachers, said, as always the devil is in the detail. This package represents a large increase in spending per pupil, taking it back to about the same level as it was in 2009-2010. However," A 13-year period of no net growth in school spending per pupil, after inflation, still represents a significant squeeze on the school budgets when considered in historical terms. When asked about a criticism that the funding would restore school funding per pupil to what it was back in 2010, Mr Walker said that in fact the funding had gone up since 2010, arguing it was a significant uplift above inflation. After the announcement was made on Saturday, Nigel Huddleston MP for Mid Worcestershire said, "I warmly welcome this multi-billion funding announcement that will make a big difference to many Worcestershire schools." And Harriet Baldwin MP for West Worcestershire added, "Welcome campaign success for our excellent schools in Worcestershire." In addition to the funding pots, one point five billion pounds each year will be put into teachers' pensions.
0: And drunk man made threat. A drunk man who shouted abuse at families and threatened to break a police officer's jaw has been handed a conditional discharge. Shelby Brennan, 20, who lives at St Paul's Hostel, Worcester, was spotted ranting outside the home bargain store in Tallow Hill. Magistrates in Worcester heard how Brennan, who appeared in court on Thursday, said he'd started drinking after his grandmother had been taken to hospital and had got drunk before shouting at passers-by. Sarah Clewer, prosecuting, said at 7pm on August 12th this year, police were called to home bargains on Tallow Hill. There, officers saw a male who was swearing he was told not to as the store was still open and he was making threats such as threatening to break the officer's jaw. He then shouted foul-mouthed abuse at a family before being taken to the floor by officers before he finally calmed down. Representing himself, Brennan said, ''I'm sorry, I had a relapse because of a family issue which came up and it was the drink talking.'' Brennan's support worker from St. Paul's Hostel read out a statement on behalf of Jonathan Sutton, CEO of the hostel. The statement read, On the day in question, he had been assaulted at the hostel, so he was in an agitated state. St. Paul's mission is to help people through homelessness, and it is important to understand this is not a plea or request for leniency. We want to help. He left the hostel last year before returning as his first stay was difficult and dysfunctional. His second stay has been much more successful and he is working to address his debts. He has already registered with a GP. He is also maintaining his room to a reasonable standard as well as entering Swanswell which he has an appointment for next week. Magistrates handed Brennan a conditional discharge for the next six months. Chair of the bench, Judy Holland said, we have a lot of sympathy, but you've got to sort it out. It is important that you go to that meeting at Swanswell and get help to turn your life around. The people there are trying to help you. May I remind you that you are already subject to a community order So if you are brought back here again for breaching it, there will be trouble. Brennan admitted using threatening or abusive words and behaviour and was ordered to pay a £20 victim surcharge. He was also ordered to repay his outstanding court debt of £685. He has four previous convictions for ten offences, the last of which was in July. Now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Dill, Kate uh, and Julian and Barry for reading and recording. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So we'll say our goodbyes and best wishes from me, Evelyn and from all the team. Goodbye. Goodbye. And finally, the obituaries. Pauline-Ann Grand, née Forrester of Abbots Wood, passed away peacefully at home with her daughters by her side on August the 7th, 2019, aged 80 years. Funeral service at St Edmund's Church, Stilton, on Thursday, September the 12th at 1pm, followed by committal at the Vale Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Joyce Winifred Hickling, Wynn, passed away at the Alexandra Hospital Redditch on August the 22nd 2019, aged 69 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday September the 11th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only please. Michael Ridout, passed away in South Africa. On August the 13th, 2019, aged 64 years, a highly respected geography teacher and coach to many RGS pupils in this city. The family will hold a celebration of Mike's life at RGS Worcester on Saturday, October the 26th, 2019 at 1 p.m., to which friends, colleagues and former pupils will be warmly welcome. Details will be posted on the RGS website from September the 12th.
2: Dorothy Elizabeth Smith, Dot, passed away peacefully on August 20th, 2019 in hospital, aged 92 years, with her loving family at her side. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, September 9th at 1.45pm. John Revel Turner passed away on August 16th, aged 86, after six years of pulmonary fibrosis, born with stoic courage. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on September 10th at 1pm. No flowers, please.
3: OK, Anne Elizabeth Banner, née Poole, sadly passed away on August the 22nd, 2019, aged 73, in Peterborough City Hospital. The funeral service will take place on Friday, September the 13th at Peterborough Crematorium, Mowbray Road, Peterborough, at 1 o'clock. Family flowers only, please. Ronald, Ron, Jeffrey Wilkes. Ron passed away peacefully on August the 25th, 2019, aged 88 years, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, September the 10th, 2019, at 12:15 p.m. Family flowers only, please.
1: Phyllis Catchpole of Battenhall passed away peacefully at home on August the 23rd, 2019, aged 92 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday. September 10th at 2.30pm. Vivian Thomas Edwards, known as Vic, passed away suddenly on August 10th at Worcester Royal Hospital. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, September 16th at 11.30am. All flowers are welcome.